Let's talk about the real world for a moment, shall we? Where you're not some wonderful lone wolf hero, but you're part of a team and you play your position because that's what America is, Mr. Jeffries. It's one big team. Now, this might be difficult for you to grasp, but I am a patriot. And a patriot is one who makes the right moral choice. Sometimes it takes a strong man to make that choice. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. And after the show, will be available on iTunes for downloading if you're podcasting this show later on this afternoon. Our next guest has been on this program before, I believe twice, and uh, he is uh, currently based uh, in Aleppo, and he has been there throughout uh, the last uh, couple of years, at least um, the recent part of this conflict. And uh, so we're going to connect with uh, Pierre Lecourf, uh, who is uh, from France and also has a uh, founder of his own charity called We Are Superheroes. And uh, there's a link to that charity on the show page right now. I do encourage people after the show, go and check out and see what uh, Pierre is doing, the projects that he's working on there on the ground uh, in Aleppo. Thank you for joining us, Pierre. Thank you. And uh, we wanted to get you on, uh, first of all, Pierre, You know, to get an update on the situation right now uh, in Aleppo. What has it been like after uh, Christmas because I know a lot changed uh, around Christmas uh, as the Syrian army uh, managed to retake uh, those parts of East Aleppo that had been occupied uh, for pretty much four years uh, by the uh, terrorist uh, forces, uh, who the West obviously call rebels. But uh, now that that's changed, and you know, just give us an update of what's happening now, how, how life is in Aleppo, how's it different now than it was like, say, four or six months ago? The situation has, yes, evolved, we can say, because, uh, like, few months ago, the terrorists were, from example, from where I am ex- now in the city center, they were, like, one kilometer, 1.5 kilometer. Now they're around 10 and 15 kilometers. So a lot of people believe that the war since the deliberation, like it's finished and like it's, but it's not true. I mean, we, they just move away from 10, 15 kilometers. So they are all in the neighborhood here, which is still in Aleppo, but the entry of Aleppo, which is called uh, Rajdin or Zara, and they keep shooting on us. I mean, they can't have, they can't reach like before, like the city center, but they can still reach the inside the city and the entry of the cities. So we keep receiving motors and rockets, and uh, a lot of people are still dying. Not in the same place, um, especially in the in the entry of the city, but also, uh, how do we call that? Uh, artisanal bombs. Uh, for example, a few days ago, they trapped uh, the trashes, like big uh, metallic trashes, and a lot of people die again. 
the situation has been, I believe, somehow better because of uh, the negotiation of Astana and Geneva, not because they, they really stopped to, to, to shop because they kept, but it gave them time to rebuild their strategy. And before they were like a lot, a lot of groups, uh, all disconnected, working together, but disconnected. And now they are all uh, alive. So the time, the Astana and everything, like it gave them time to, to strengthen themselves. And I remember like uh, around one year ago in, the, in their own television channel, the Free Syrian Army uh, channel, they were saying that they, they needed absolutely to unite to overthrow the government of Syria. And they were even calling for Daesh to, to join them. And now they did it. So Daesh is still out, but all these groups now are like dozens of groups and they're two big groups. So I don't know what will happen. To be honest, I think I'm still waiting. I mean, I don't believe in the in 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 any like really uh, peace situation for the moment because uh, they didn't like all gather together to white like to move on on a level or whatever. They they will do something and they will keep shot on us and they will do something. I don't know what, but we're waiting to see, but the life is getting better. I mean, the people start to live again, especially here in all the city center where we use like to go out every day and we don't know if we come back home and we don't know if we can like, you know, so that's a real, uh, that's a real change we can see. And, uh, and what about the, uh, the, the main, the Castello road, uh, had been uh, secured, uh, by the Syrian military, uh, back in December. And that was uh, one of the main roads uh, coming into Aleppo, access to the city yes. uh, from other parts of the country. Is that is that still secure? That main road. Uh, it is uh, the big roads. Uh, part of the big road there is uh, moved from a, a big road to another one. Now we pass, especially through Salami, uh, to reach the Aleppo. Before there were two, 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 two big roads, and this one now is the main one. So it's okay. It's secure. There is no problem. There is. Uh, always like on the road, one hour, one hour of danger somehow because there is uh, still like one place in between two Damas and uh, and Aleppo, which is like still not occupied by a Daesh, but they are not far from there. So it's um, yeah, but it's okay. It's uh, it's safe. I mean, I don't. Uh, we're not really scared about when we travel, but. Yeah, a few months ago, again, a few cars get attacked by uh, by projectiles, but. Nothing today. How, how is the situation with the schools uh, and also businesses, small businesses uh, in Aleppo? I know that a lot of uh, children, you know, you were talking about this last time on the show. Uh, many of them have not had the ability or the uh, opportunity to go uh, to class or go to school for a long period of time, years, in fact, in some kids' uh, yes. cases. But and also just the general safety of being out. Uh, being able to sort of, you know, families to be out in the street, kids to be playing in certain areas was yeah. just before completely uh, forbidden for safety reasons. What's the situation like now? The situation is better. I mean, since the liberation, uh, there is two points. There is one which is terrible and very difficult to deal with. Now it's a little bit better, but for one month, one month and a half, like a lot of children died. Because after the liberation, like we discovered that everything in the East Aleppo has been trapped. I mean, they really trapped everything. And the first people to come back in the, like in the rubble and to go to try to find things are the children. So they get, 
a lot of them get injured and get killed by the by the traps. I mean, the landmines, they put the landmines, the washing machine, and everything. Yeah. Landmines and everything. I mean, for example, like they know that the people may take, I don't know, the washing machine, so they put two grenades inside, and when you take off the the, the washing machine, the, it takes off the it uh, starts the grenade and it blow up everything. Uh, the march, the doors, the toys, even. So, so they boot. So they boot. They, they, so they planted explosives or uh, grenades or yeah. booby-trapped, basically uh, kitchen appliances, washing machines, and even you said toys. Yes, toys. Wow! Everything was trapped. Everything people can take, can move, or can interest people. So the thing which are the most like uh, attractive for everybody, for people, for children, were trapped. So. Uh, basically, the situation was difficult. I mean, this for for one month and a half uh, for people, and it's for me. I mean, for, for because we. I mean, I care about the children. I care about the families, and you know, and when you know that the, it's the liberation, so the children may uh, leave again and they go there and they die. It's like I can't say it's unfair. There is no fair unfair situation in the world. It's like it's. But but yeah, most of the children who are here now they they, they live really better. I mean, I have a lot of children every every week, and all the children who were living in the east, I keep meeting them, a lot of them, and now they can go to school. Yes, because a lot a lot of them couldn't go to school. They uh, for those who can like live in the east, they, they they could go to school, but it wasn't a school. They have to go with a sheikh, with like uh, Islamic uh, Islamic teachers. So people were basically teaching them uh, Quran, but also uh, like some very bad things because uh, the Quran they used to teach and everything. The Muslim uh, the Islamic uh, teaching were really 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 uh, extreme. So, for most of them now, they go back in public schools, which open again in the East Aleppo and a little bit everywhere. So it was like a, a really new life for for all of all of them because they can go to school. You know, the schools are free, so they can go. It's a, it's something which is really really valuable because education is the most important thing. And now today, the children they are the the one who will rebuild Syria, and I hope the one who can be the future of this country who can like bring something good uh, after the war and to may eventually be the one who can bring step by step the peace and uh, so yes, the schools and the education and everything is starting back but uh, we we're still living like in sort of big interrogation interrogation points mm-hmm. And and you know, tell me this as well because I know I know th- I think you've been able to observe uh, you know some of this stuff from maybe a more I know it's hard to be objective uh, when you've been uh, in the middle of this situation for so long but in terms of you know the, now that the sort of the direct immediate threat is less now and then people are able to sort of get back uh, to doing some day to day normal things and you know. The the shock, I, I, I think I would say, especially for those who were living in the East or who had escaped from the East uh, in the later days of uh, right before the liberation of East Aleppo, that w- once the shock wears off uh, and once the adrenaline wears off, then you kind of have to face reality. And, w- you know, what is that? You know, are you able to see what that process looks like for people? Because I know this is. This is there's a lot of things that have happened over the last five years in East Aleppo, and what's this process of, 
is it reconciliation or is there d- different stages that people are going to have to go through to 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 where they can su- get to some kind of normal uh, uh, life at the end or or come to grips or come to accept what has happened i mean what are your thoughts on this in fact there is a very strange somehow reactivity re- reaction of the of the end of the war somehow here let's say not the the end because it's not the end i mean we you know it's a very strange feeling to say that and it can be really surprising for people but just because now we receive just i don't know maybe five or ten rockets a day only in the entire city so we feel it the peace for people receiving ten rockets it may be like hell for us we used to receive so much that we can't like so for the people i mean uh, for example, for the East and the West, I mean, now there is no more East and no more West. The people live together. There is no threats anymore. And all the families arrive there. I mean, they pass through the registration center so they get checked. Uh, by the army, of course, because uh, a lot of people try to get inside the city as uh, terrorists also. All these families now, they live back their life like before. But the most difficult it is strange, but it's not for the people of the East. The most difficult is, is from the people of the West, because uh, for the people of the East, they have been living hell. We can say that they have been living hell because they have, uh, they have been living two wars. They have been living the war uh, with the bombings, with the fightings, and they have been living the war with living with the terrorists. So it was like really, really tough for the families because they have to live under really, really tough treatments uh, and they, they, they really struggle. I mean, it was really, really bad because most of the group, terrorist group who were there were making living, them living hell without food, with bad treatments. Some, some of them told me about torture, about jail. Uh, the, the situation was really terrible, but it was so terrible that most of the people from the East, now they come and they face, let's say, the life more easily than the West, which is living um, somehow in a better condition. We can say it. I mean, we, we, we used to, to live like uh, the rockets every day, the mortars every day, and we didn't know if we will live or die. Most of my children, uh, they, they are really impacted in their life. I mean, they, they, they struggle every day. But they struggle more than the people of the East because they did have this advantage on life, let's say, that uh, they, they struggle a little bit less. We didn't know if we will get killed or not, but they struggle less and they, they had this, this sort of denial here in the West. So they were like uh, leaving the war, but forgetting the war, trying to do like if they were nothing. So today they're still living this denial and most of the children who are living there in the schools who have been keeping living this life under the war, under the rockets, uh, they, they, they struggle like hell. But they really struggle like hell. My children, every time we work on their feelings, on what they would like to do, on everything, I, they, I have no children who can't, like, they, they, they can't keep their tears. I mean, they, they can't live today normally. They just try to escape what the thing the people couldn't do really in, in the East. I mean, they live it. And uh, I don't know if you understand what yeah, the point yeah, I'm trying I, to I think, say. But yeah, I think you're, you're, you're trying to say that the, the people in the West were just, because there was a, a level of uncertainty about um, when rockets would or gas canister bombs would drop and where and snipers and all the rest of it. Uh, at, at the same time, they they had a kind of a denial that because they wanted to just carry on and try to carry on life as normal uh, in the West. Whereas in the East, 
um, it was a different dynamic. It was a different situation. So psychologically, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. So they couldn't carry a normal life there. They couldn't have a life at all. Here in the West, we called that this life. But this life was like, was most of the time a lie. It was most of the time a lie. Most of the people, you know, they get a lot of people of their family, they died and their friends die. And like they go out, they try to drink a coffee with their friends to smoke a gila. But they are scared like hell, but they try to look like they are not scared. They try to look like they are strong, but they are not. The children, I'm telling you, really, the children I'm taking care of today and the work I'm doing is especially psychological because they are struggling so much, so much, so much, so much. So it's very, very hard for the people, but there is no even question of reconciliation because, in fact, one thing which is really... Not surprising, but touching and moving somehow. It's that the big, 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 big majority of the people arrived from the east. So the people never came back, like in, in this part of Aleppo, for sometimes three to five years, because some areas were already somehow under Daesh or things like that. And like, but these people, they don't, they have no, no, how I can say, they have no, no uh, issues with the people here. I mean, the people start back to live together like if they were nothing before. And most of the people in the East, they still live like in areas which is a little bit further than this, this, this centi- the city center and everything. They're still living together. But when I come to meet them and I still go, like, they, they are really, they have no, no I, I don't know how to say that. They don't uh, reproach anything. They have no problem with even the government. Some of them doesn't like the government much more, more than that. But even even these people, I mean, now they arrive there, and they, they don't care much and they don't reproach anything. And it's not a question of diplomacy. I mean, they don't say that because I'm here and I'm foreigner or they try to convince me. I mean, I, I know when I talk to people and they're trying to say something I want to hear. And everybody is in the same line today. I mean, the people just want to live their life to find back their life, and um, the thing is that you know you only you only know what you have when you lost it, and most of the people that's what they're feeling today. Now they want to get their life from before the war. They want to get back everything, and they don't want to have more. They want to have their life from before, and so they they they're working on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, and so the other thing is obviously now that you're able to go. Uh, to the east uh, and to uh, look and investigate and to check things out, um, you're finding some things that uh, maybe are not the same or that sort of destroy the Western narrative about, uh, let's talk about, for instance, the the video which you've just released uh, about uh, a hospital in the east and the White Helmets headquarters and how uh, it's next door to the Al-Nusra front terrorist group headquarters and just tell us about this journey uh and where you went and then tell us about what you discovered what you learned from this uh, it's it is let's say that the, the fiction goes further than the reality there because it's really really i, I mean I, I knew like the the connection with the terrorists uh from the white helmet from some organization, but when I arrived, like in this neighborhood, I came already, but I haven't been so deep because it was still very, very dangerous. Everything was like really, was really trapped. And uh, when I arrived there, in fact, I arrived in a in a neighborhood called Sarouh, and uh, the, the the it was like uh, Zabeta Nasa, 
the M10 hospital, which have been, say, totally destroyed a certain number of times, but it is still here, the White Helmet Center and the Red Crescent, the, the Red Crescent, Qatari Red Crescent. So all this organization was really connected together, like in, uh, let's say, a five-meter uh, five square zone, uh, and all uh, really connected. I mean, the building of Jabet and Nusra is connected in the same yard, in the same yard of the, the White Helmet, the headquarter of Jabet and Nusra. And the M10 is just front of the Jabet and Nusra uh, headquarter, like, I don't know, 10, 15 meters. And nearby that, there is the Qatari, the Qatari Red Crescent. And when you arrive there, I mean, you can find, uh, the, the flag, the flag of Chabeta Nasra in the, in the, of course, in the White Helmet Center. And you find a lot of writing in the wall, which are about Quran and the Free Syrian Army. And, uh, everything is really military in the, in the, the White Helmet Center. And everything is connected to Chabeta Nasra. Uh, I, uh, we found documents, by the way, which connect directly with stamps and with like uh, agreements from the White Helmets in this zone which connect uh, Nureddin Azinki or Jabet al-Nusra as the responsible for the White Helmets in this zone. So basically, um, Jabet al-Nusra was, the, was the, the responsible of the White Helmets. So they were working for Jabet al-Nusra. So, so uh, Jabet al-Nusra, so, is, just for, for listeners who might not know, Jabet al-Nusra, al-Nusra Front in English, would be uh, the al-Qaeda in Syria, basically. So this yes. is an, it's an internationally recognized terrorist organization that was the dominant fighting force uh, in eastern Aleppo for those number of years, correct? Yeah, correct. It's Al Qaeda in the in the symbol of uh, jihadism here in uh, in Syria. So it's about it's about overthrow the government, but especially to create a caliphate. Uh, the difference, for example, between uh, Jabhat al Nusra and ISIS is that Jabhat al Nusra has an international vision of uh, conquest. When ISIS is more basically based, like uh, in a local domination, a local conquest, a local creation of caliphate, uh, Jabhat al-Nusra is a really international connected uh, terrorist group, which was some part of their member, for example, attack my country, like in the Bataclan or in the Charlie. So they were part of the branch, not the same, but part of the branch of this al-Nusra al-Qaeda group. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I arrived there, I mean, you know, I, I walk a little bit around and you can arrive, for example, in the M10 hospital. So in the video, you can see that, uh, like, uh, let's say that 90% of the hospital is still up. And I mean, up good. I mean, it's not, there's some part of the building which is destroyed, especially the zone where you keep the generators, the water and everything. But everything is, is okay. I mean, really, uh, for a war zone hospital, it's a really, I mean, it's really it's really good. Of course, it's not uh, it's not good as an hospital in general, but it's good. I mean, everything is okay, and they can work these beds. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of medicine. But the thing is that everything is only dedicated for Jabhat al-Nusra because even the, the hospital, the M10 hospital, is marked everywhere by Jabhat al-Nusra as the property of Jabhat al-Nusra. And when you get inside, you find the USSM, uh, the Union of Syrian Medical Relief Organizations. You find the Syrian American uh, Medical Society. Uh, you find the Red uh, Crescent Qatari, and all are uh, with tankards, like with a flag of uh, Jabhat al-Nusra, in inside the building. 
and uh, you find also documents. Uh, uh, we see it in the video. If not, uh, I will publish the photos. But like terrorists from Libya will support the terrorists from Syria directly in the building, or you find the flag with the uh, the or I can say the SAM organization, Syrian American Medical Society, which appear uh, with Jabhat al-Nusra. It is a, a dedicated Jabhat al-Nusra center, and um, the people so, living so, around that's what they told me. Also. So, so, so you saw you saw paperwork, or you, you you've seen evidence to connect the Syrian American Medical Association with Jabhat al-Nusra. Okay, I have I took pictures. I even have a picture where the American Society Association appear in a wall, and which is the the wall of the the main and the, and the entry of the antenna. Everywhere you find a different organization, you find the symbol of the different groups who supported Jabhat al-Nusra, wow. and you find the or I can say the the the, the flag when the and the message which is funny because. In the world, you see a message which say Jabhat al-Nusra should not trust American people because they are against uh, Islam. And uh, a little bit further, you get inside and everything is marked with American society, a medical, sorry, Syrian uh, uh, American society medical. So it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty uh, contrary. But yes, they, it's everywhere. Uh, the association is really connected to the terrorists. And they really have like um, th- this hospital was anyway dedicated to Jabhat al-Nusra, dedicated to Jabhat al-Nusra only. Uh, the wow. civilians couldn't go there. And uh, the thing is that everywhere inside you can find. Um, I'll send you the photos if you want of the documents, of the papers, and everything. Uh, you will see. It's surprising. I, I, you know, I expect when I arrived there to find like a proof, uh, the fact that of course they were supporting, but I, I didn't expect to find that the entire hospitals and infrastructures was only dedicated to terrorists. I found dozens and dozens and hundreds of kilos of medicines still here. And you know, the people when they arrived after the liberation, they, they came by themselves. I mean, they took a lot of things. But there are still hundreds of kilos of medicine and they are marked. Not Shabet al-Nusra this time, but Arach al-Sham. Arach al-Sham is one of the biggest terrorist group also here in, uh, in, in Syria. Uh, and dedicated to them, also the same. The, the civilians of me that all that medicine were dedicated only to the, the armed groups. So, so the M10 uh, hospital. So, if if the M10 hospital, which the, the the media claimed was destroyed, like I don't know, ten times, uh, and made a lot of uh, headlines out of this story. Uh, so, this was a dedicated hospital just for the terrorist fighters. And and could you say yes. maybe that the white helmets were also kind of acting as a support group, really for Al Nusra and for Arar al Sham? They weren't. They, they weren't really for the yes. public. This pu- the hospital wasn't for the public, right? No, no. They have they they in, in the ground. I mean, the 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 the, the white helmets have been helping both uh, civilians and terrorists. But most of the time, they were helping civilians, and that's what the civilians told me. I mean, when they were coming to take videos or pictures and things, they were like really helping civilians. But a lot of time, the the people told me that they they didn't come to help them. I mean, they were nearby. But they didn't come, and as I told you, the, the biggest center of the White Helmets is front of Jabhat al-Nusra Center. You have to cross the yard. To cross the yard to get inside the Jabhat al-Nusra Center, it is 15 meters, 15 meters, and you can come from the, the, the White Helmets Center to the Jabhat al-Nusra directly. You don't need to to go very far. The same for the M10. The M10 is 15 meters from the entry of the Jabhat al-Nusra at Carter. So mm-hmm. it is. It is obvious. It is obvious. But 
you know that that's something like you can't I, I didn't even imagine it was like so 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 bad i mean you 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 know you imagine the connection you imagine of course the support the war zone and everything but now when i find the documents the money which appear in the documents the name uh, the connection with nosra everywhere you just feel that you have been fooled but more than fooled i mean it is it is the, the lie is even biggest than what i imagined wow well, well, we suspected. Uh, we we've seen similar uh, reports and similar evidence uh, in other other re- reporters as well. And you know, yours just also reinforces uh, what we suspected and what was quite, quite horrific, actually, uh, the scale of the lie uh, with regards to this uh, so-called NGO. It's very disappointing uh, to me that so many people in the West, Pierre, especially young people, they 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 mar- the marketing campaigns in the West really targeted. Uh, young people or millennials of the of that age group in their 20s and 30s to donate money to the white helmets uh, be, because they they claim they saved 82,000 lives in the last three years and they even got an Oscar award uh, uh, last the other week uh, for their documentary. I mean, it, it's a quite extraordinary. So the 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 reality on the ground, you know, that doesn't square off at all with with the sort of image that's been created internationally yes no the real yeah the reality is that they are really a propaganda machine i mean if i have to be really totally neutral and honest in the situation about uh, the west and the east of course they are uh, in the middle of the white helmets people have been saving lives that is that's true i mean the people in the white helmets they were saving lives it is true we can't say it because they were bombings it was fightings but the two things we have to remember at that moment about that is that it's not just saying that the white helmets they are monsters they are just programmed to 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 support terrorism which is not true we can however say that the terrorists were connected to the white helmets and the white helmets were depending on the terrorists and they have to work together they were truly connected and they were especially helping the terrorist group when they were funded by a lot of governments not to save civilians but to make propaganda and to make videos because they have like the also in the ground the or would you call that the, the notice that if they want to get their salary the money they have to to take videos always when they go outside and we do something they have to take pictures on video and the problem is that when we think about the situation in the ground, when we think about that these people, most of them, most of them, I, I can't say all of them, I don't have the proof that all of them are terrorists uh, when they get out from the white helmets, they go, become Jabet Nusra. But most of them, and that's, that's proved here, uh, were uh, fighters. They were fighters for Aral Sham, for Nuruddin Zinki, for Jabet Nusra. Most of them were fighters. So when we think about the most terrible thing, it's not even that they were the people who were like supporting, connected with with terrorists. Is that they were bringing the death? Because if we think about the fact that these people were fighters and they were helping people get killed by the bombs, we have to think about why the bombs were falling there. So why the civilians get injured? Because these people, the same who were saving lives, were the ones who were killing people in the oversight. So they were throwing away bombs, rockets, motors, killing people every day. They were making advance on the city to try to take over the, the old city of Aleppo. Most of the planes of the, the, the army were fighting 
these people who were shooting for the most, uh, the most uh, dense areas of the East Aleppo. So they were shooting with trucks, with launch rockets, with trucks so they can move from a place to another. They were even shooting from the hospital. The civilians told me they were shooting from the hospital. So, so the they, were using, they were using the hospital or the people as human shields, basically. Yes, or as camouflage, they were doing right? it, and the problem is that these people come to save the people, say that they are coming to save the people. They are the people who bring them to die. They are the people who bring them to be injured. They are the people who bring them to, to be in the middle of this mess, of the war, because they are the people who are here to overthrow the government at any price. And that's the problem. That's the reason I have... Today, no respect for the white helmets, because if they help people, you can't give them a prize for helping people who get injured because of you. You can't. Yeah. You can't do that. So the same, you're saying the same members of the white helmets were also uh, moonlighting as uh, fighters for Arar al-Sham, al-Nusra Front, or yes. uh, Nur al-Din al-Zinki. And so they're part of the reason yes. why... Uh, there's a war going on. They they are targeting uh, civilians in the West as well uh, with mortar, with yes. uh, with hell cannons and so forth. So they they're actually members of the White Helmets are directly involved in the creating the situation, the 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 conflict, basically, right? Yes, they are just the face, the white face. When you turn over, you find a fighter. The problem is that these people, they have, been they have been killing people in both sides. They have been killing people everywhere just because they have been motivating uh, this conflict. And not because they have been motivating, you know. Uh, these people, they didn't come out by themselves. They have been created. I mean, it is a big marketing strategy communication. Everything is connected to them everywhere outside in the Western countries. They are the biggest propaganda weapon, I mean, in this conflict. The white helmets are the only one thing which, like, uh, make the conflict keeping during, keeping during, keeping during, keeping during. And when you think about just even that, just keeping during the war, that means the people die. When you think about the liberation of Aleppo, what's happening? Look, there is no more planes, no more bombs, no more people dying, except from the rockets of the terrorists. So when we think about they try to keep the people as long as they can under the bombs, because that was what was motivating the keep going on on the war. The, the no-fly zone, for example, was the way to help them to keep the East Aleppo. Nobody cares about the fact people will die more because of no-fly zone, because no-fly zone will mean they will die, and that will mean that they can strengthen themselves. Later, I mean, it's, it's a question, time is not money in this time. Time is life. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, so they're they're neither volunteers nor are they independent. Uh, the white helmets cannot be independent, but ba based on you know they what you described. They are not. Basically, they are not at all, at all, but at all. Yeah, just completely aligned with uh, with Al Nusra, with Arar Sham, with Nor Al Din Al Zinki. Governments. And yeah, yeah. So they're I mean, I can tell. You, I can give you names. You know, for example, there's documents here. Uh, about organizations which, which were giving them money, uh, documents from organization called Democracy Council, uh, based, I think, in Los Angeles, uh, documents from uh, another organization called Chemonics, giving them money of all, which, which was after research, the biggest contractor of the UZ in America, so from the government, and it's not about like 10K dollars, it's about 100, 110 million dollars. And all the money you get there, it's like uh, they were like 
it's, it was Dubai in the East Aleppo. I don't know where I've been, all this money who came in, but all the documents you can find here, it's all about dozens, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It is, it, it is just, it, we can't even imagine that because the people that are living here in the East, in the West here, they were suffering so much from the, from the embargo, from the sanction against the city. And for the people in the East, they were struggling so much because they didn't have money to afford the food, which was like even eager because of the siege from their army, but especially because the terrorists were keeping all the humanitarian food. Yeah, I don't understand how it is possible that these people, uh, how this money, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, if it's a strategy from governments to like really uh, enrich these people to be able to keep going on the war, it's okay. But it's a really shitty one because all this money uh, went in the pockets of a lot of people, but certainly not to the right. Yeah, well, yeah, it didn't make its way into do any good really for the people on the ground. Uh, in 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 East Aleppo and other parts of Syria too, I think a lot of the money has been also channeled uh, into public relations firms that are basically placing all of these media stories uh, in all the newspapers and TV networks uh, in the West. So, and th- those companies which are based in London or New York, they take retainers of hundreds of millions of dollars as part of their fee, basically. Uh, so I think I think a fair amount of money has gone through media, public relations, and uh, the rest. Who knows? Is is it's possible, Pierre? They could be that that money could have been laundered to buy weapons or bullets or or you know grenades. Yes, it is for sure because for sure it is because uh, they, uh, most of the money before the siege was probably used for that. After the, it was difficult for them to get everything inside, so they were building their own rockets, grenades, and everything. And so it's still like two days ago in the East Aleppo. Uh, the big problem is still today that they are keep saying that they are here doing that to liberate for the freedom of the people of Syria. But if you come to Syria, if you come to Syria, I mean, if you come uh, everywhere in Syria, you may find people who doesn't like the government much m- more than that, but they, they, they want to keep it. I mean, they don't like it. They don't like the government. They want to still reforms about this or this because they still problem on the war bring more problems. But the situation is really good for people. And all the people I know everywhere in Syria, in a lot of cities, the freedom, they have it. Most of the terrorist areas, you know, when the liberation happened, nobody told, nobody told that it is 85% of the people were living with the terrorists uh, in the East Aleppo, 85% of the population which came in the West. They decided by themselves to come in the West. They had the, breeze, the bus, the green buses which were ready to go to Hedleb. They can go to Hedleb freely with the terrorists. It was free and it was secured by the uh, biggest organization like the, uh, the Red Crescent, which was like uh, taking them to Hedleb. But the people decided to come in the West. So if we think about these people were living in the East Aleppo, uh, they are the people who have been living under the bombs of the government of the Russians. But these people at the liberation, they decided to come in the side of the government. Uh, nobody asked why. Nobody asked why. It's not that uh, people uh, want freedom today. The people, they want freedom uh, from this war. They want freedom uh, for peace. They want freedom not anymore for overthrow the government, except for minorities, especially Sunni, Salafi, Wahhabi, people, group of people who hate the government for good or bad reasons, because a lot of them have good reason to hate the government. But for these people, there are a really, really little minority in the country. Most of the opponents, they are outside of Syria. 
how, how they can be opposant when you're outside of Syria. Uh, there are now today uh, a very few people who really want to support that by themselves. Most of the civilians who live in the terrorist areas, they are the people who are hostage. They are really hostage. I mean, you know, when you leave the war, when you live in the East or in the West, if you live in the East, at some time when you keep receiving bombs on the head, you keep receiving a lot of shit and you have to survive every day, of course, you, you have to support a side, not only because uh, not only because of the bombs, but also because you're living with a terrorist group which doesn't allow you to have any other position than their position. But the civilians told me that, you know, I wrote it in the letter I, I made for the president of my country, is that some of them said, uh, and I was with Vanessa at that moment, for example, Vanessa delayed that, uh, they say that we, you know, we don't, it's not that we don't like much the government, but you know, if you, when you live in the East, uh, if you say anything about the, the, the terrorists, they kill you. So where is the freedom? They don't come to bring freedom. If people have to ask what they're going to bring to Syria, they better have to ask what they will take from Syrians. They will take their freedom because their freedom is already here. If there is some reforms to do in the, in the management of the country, of the government, that's something else. But today, the freedom, people have it, and nobody wants to lose that. Yeah. No, I think that that's uh, the, the, the time will tell the, the, the test of that. But I think that's the most important point uh, is that uh, there wasn't uh, fighting for these weren't freedom fighters uh, uh, in the east of Aleppo that were driven out. These weren't freedom fighters at all. They were something else. Um, and uh, no, they bring their own freedom. Yeah, it's another type. It's another type, which is about allowing people to do a lot of things, which is about uh, obligating women to have a certain lifestyle. It, it, it's not freedom. It's their way of seeing the society, but it's not the society of the Syrians. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's an imported uh, concept. That's something that a lot of other Syrians have told us as well. Uh, this is this is an imported ideology that's come from outside of the country and has been injected in. Yes. And has a lot of money behind it, a lot of powerful, influential uh, organizations and countries behind it. So, but uh, that's what you're up against. Uh, so, Pierre, I just wanted to. We're going to wrap up our segment, but you know, I just wanted to say thank you very much for you know explaining a lot of these things to us and for your for your commentary and uh, your honest work as well. Uh, we really appreciate it. So do our listeners. And uh, stay stay on the line during the commercial break, and we'll. Uh, uh, we'll talk about the other stuff as well. But um, I wanted to thank you on behalf of our listeners. Thank you very much for everything you do. Thank you. There is uh, Pierre Lecourf, ladies and gentlemen, live from Aleppo. Uh, we're going to take a short commercial break. Uh, we're going to connect our next guest uh, from Paris. Gerardo Coleman will be on the line shortly. We'll be right back after these messages. This is the Sunday Wire. Stick around. It's time. 
Since 2009, 21st Century Wire has been a trusted source of alternative news with opinion, analysis, investigative reports, and features covering stories from North America to Europe, to the Middle East, and globally. In the last two years, we've grown dramatically. This year, we're expanding our programming and our reporting and adding to our team of dedicated contributors. But we need your help. There is a way you can support us. Go to 21wire.tv and click on 21wire membership to find out more about how you can help support our platform by subscribing and becoming a member. In return, we promise to keep it independent and keep it real. But that's not all. By subscribing to 21wire.tv, members will get access to more premium content like virtual private screenings of new documentaries and short films and get inside access to members' podcasts like On the QT with Patrick Henningsen. And also, you can see our new morning commute show Drive by Wire with Sean Helton, as well as our new geopolitical current affairs series Insight, shot in high definition. By becoming a member, you're also helping to support the Sunday Wire radio show, as well as all our great reporting at 21stCenturyWire.com. There's more. Members will also gain access to our fortnightly Members Situation Report newsletter, as well as special discounts on all 21 Wire merchandise up at our online store, Shop 21. Subscribe and become a member at 21wire.tv.